Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and then we're going to jump to Acts chapter 2. And it says this, while, And while staying with them, he ordered them, talking about Jesus, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John the baptized, uh, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts chapter two, verse one says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, say all together, in one place, and suddenly, say suddenly, suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and and divided tongues as a fire appeared uh, appeared to them and rested on each and one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Holy Spirit, right now we thank you that even in, in this room, as you did in 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. God, can you just pour out your spirit? Lord, I pray that tonight is gonna be an old-fashioned Holy Spirit encounter. Let us be hungry. Let us be ready. Let us be willing to enter into your presence and what you wanna do. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen. The title of what I'm talking about tonight is The Wind of What's Next. The Wind of What's Next. In 2013 in Camarillo, California, which is in Ventura County, there was a small brush fire that started in the hills of Camarillo. And, and really, it was, it was nothing that was significant. It, wasn't no, it was nothing that was dangerous. The first responders had it pretty contained. And, and this small brush fire just started. But, but in a moment, what was contained, what was insignificant, what, what really wasn't even threatening or dangerous, um, something began to change. The Santa Ana winds begin to shift and what used to be still and, and docile, this, that, you know, and this, this little fire that wasn't really hurting anyone and wasn't touching anyone began to, to pick up some steam and pick up some strength. And, and the Santa Ana winds begin to push this thing and billow this thing and this fire began to grow and it began to spread. And, and what started as something that was contained and what started as something that was a little brush fire that was not threatening anyone began to cover 40,000 acres and fire. 40,000 acres. Now, the, the thing about a wildfire is that there's two elements that really make a dangerous wildfire. One is obviously the fire. The, the element of fire creates this, this, this dangerous, destructive element, and, and it's powerful, and it's, but, but really it can be contained. It can be put out if there's not wind. It's the wind, if you would ask a firefighter, is what scares them. It's the wind that, 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 that they can, because they don't know which direction it's going to go, and they don't know how hard it's going to push, and they, 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 they cannot contain. And even when they put out a fire, an ember can be pushed by the wind and start up a fire someone else, somewhere else. And we see fires that can jump over freeways and, 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 and consume a house in a moment, and it's because there's these two elements to a wildfire. Now we see in, in, in this passage that we read in Acts chapter 2, we see these two elements. We see something that is beginning to stir up in the upper room. And, and really what, what, what Jesus had predicted is beginning to happen. But I want us to, to backtrack a little bit and I want us to track with these disciples to see where they were at and what they were thinking and what they were feeling in this moment. Because you and I see the end of the story, but they were in the middle of it. They were sitting there in a transition season. 
How many of you know that it's in transition seasons that it's actually the most difficult to hold on to the promises of God? It's when things begin to shift. It's when things begin to change. Things begin to get a little uncomfortable. What used to be comfortable and what we used to walk in now is changing. And we've got to hold on to not what we can see or feel, but what has been spoken to us. And so we, 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 we actually meet these disciples in the middle of a transition season. There's a transition happening to, to what was, to what's next, to, to what was happening in the, in the ministry of Jesus now to, to a new ministry and something fresh and something new. And they were sitting and they were waiting and they were expecting something, but they didn't know what. It was a transition season. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of church history in this lesson. So it's a little teaching, not too much, don't worry. But, but within, within history of mankind and within the history of the church, there's different seasons and different ages. Now, in, in the Old Testament before Jesus came, it was the age of the Father, the age of the Father or the season of the Father. Now, that what marked the age of the Father was how you connected to God how you connected to God. The only way that you could connect to God was through one person, which was the priest. The priest had one, it was one person in one place at one time a year that you could connect with God. There was no open free worship and connecting with God in any place at any time in any moment. It was constricted, it was concealed to the holy of holies. There was one person who could do it one time a year and he would speak on behalf of God and tell everyone, this is what God said. The age of the father was what continued through the Old Testament. We actually see that that that, that that even in the age of the Father, we see theophanies, which is pictures of Jesus, where, where Jesus shows up in human form. We see that with Abraham when the three people come and, and he feeds them. That's a theophany of Jesus. That's a theophany of the Trinity. We see three, which is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So we see pictures. We see glimpses of what's to come, but, but it's not yet. We see even, you know, when, 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 when there's creation, it says we will make man in our image. So it's speaking in plurality. It's speaking of, of something more than just, just one. There's the Trinity. There's the three, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But right now in this time, in this day and age, it was the age of the Father. The age of the Father. And, and in order to connect with God, you needed a sacrifice. You could not go to God without a payment. You could not go to the Holy of Holies unless first there was a blood sacrifice for that. So then we begin to see another transition that, 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 that from the age of the father then when Jesus was born and raised up and he was launched into his ministry, there was a transition period from when Jesus started his ministry at 30 years old from the age of the father to the age of the son. Now the difference between the age of the father and the age of the son is that you could actually encounter God when you were in the presence of Jesus. When you were with him, when you heard his teachings, when you saw his miracles, you were with God. But what limited the age of the son was actually the, 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 the limitations of God's human flesh, that Jesus took on our humanity and that's what limited him. It was not omnipresent or omnipotent. He wasn't everywhere at all times and having all power at all times. It was only confined to where Jesus was in the moment. So if you were with Jesus, guess what? You were with God. God. But if you weren't with Jesus, you could not be with God. So we see that in this place, there's different ages, there's different seasons. And Jesus was beginning to say that, that, that there's something greater that's going to be stirring up. There's someone greater that's headed to me. There's a different season that we're headed into. There's a transition period about to have it happen and it has to happen. Why? Because right now, as though, though I'm God in flesh, I am only limited to those who can be in interaction with me. But God desires for all to encounter me, so there's something more. It says this in John 16, 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you, it is your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we see that, that the age of the son was with Jesus when he was there, and he's saying that I have to go. So we pick up this story that we read in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We have 120 disciples up in the upper room. Now, now I want us to, to paint this picture a little bit. I love to tell stories. I try to tell stories to Rio, my son, but he doesn't get it yet. He's only one, you know. I'm like, we're trying to get him there. He's like looking at me and he's like, I'm like, all right. You know, we like... He just wants to watch Baby Shark, which is demonic in Jesus' name. Let's get rid of Baby Shark. If I hear that song one more time, I don't know what's about to happen, right? I know you parents know. It's just like, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but my wife's aunt bought him a little stuffed animal that he can squeeze a button on it, and instantaneously the song Baby Shark plays. So all I hear, even now, in my head, is that song, right? I don't know where that was headed. We're telling a story. That's where I was going. Okay, we're telling a story. We're in the upper room, 120 people. Imagine they had, you know, 12 of them had intimately walked with, with God, or let's say 11, because one of them went a little crazy. 11 of them had walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, communed with Jesus, had conversation with Jesus, see him raise dead people to life, seeing deaf people hear, blind people see, lepers be healed and cleansed, paralytics walk and run and jump. They saw these miraculous works. They walked, talked, they were with God during the age of, of the sun. So for them, they had the greatest advantage of them all because they were always with God. And even then, Jesus says, there's someone greater than even the access you have right now. So they're sitting up there probably asking each other, what's next? I thought that was pretty good. We had some access. We had VIP passes. We have to give those up? They're sitting there talking to each other. Imagine the anxiety a little bit. There's a tension in there. Because Jesus, all he said was, there's someone greater coming your way. There's a helper. All right, see you later. It's like, all right, well, any other information I need? Where'd he go? This is where they're at. They didn't get any information. You ever met that person who's just really ambiguous with directions? Yeah, just, you know, you'll figure it out. What? Hey, how do I get to your house? You know, it's just around over there, you know, take a right here, left there. You'll figure it out. It'll be good. Okay. Imagine if Google Maps was that way. You know, show me how to get here. Oh, you'll figure it out. I'm like, okay. This is where they're at. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, cool. Someone's coming. You'll figure it out. You'll know when you see it. All right. Talk to you later. I'm going to go hang out with my dad. All right. So they're sitting here. Imagine the tension. Imagine the tension in this room. They're praying, they're believing, they're like, God, we're expecting, we know you're gonna send. See, what, what gets me about this story is they had expectation, but they did not know what they were expecting. See, how often in church do we lose expectation, but we actually know what to expect? We know what Jesus sent. We know who the Holy Spirit is. We see that the helper was sent and yet we still lower our expectation. These people who 120 of them had no idea what was next. They were probably fearing for their life, locked up in an upper room somewhere because their, their leader, their savior has just disappeared into the sky. And all he said was, hey, it's coming soon. 
good luck. What is this? I, I, I bet Peter was, was sitting there and he's saying, man, um, I was cussing out teenage girls before he came. I, I don't know what's next, right? He's like, I, well, I, don't, I don't know if I can do this without him. I mean, I was pretty messed up with him. Thomas was like, I was doubting him and I saw him. How, 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 what's next? What's next? How about Matthias, someone we don't talk about? He was the guy that was chosen to replace Judas just the chapter before. And you know what his, his requirements of choosing him was? It's so good. He was there. <laughs> That's it. They never mention him ever again. But it said they cast lots and they chose him. Why? Because he was there. This guy was saying, the only reason I'm an apostle is because one of them decided to go crazy. I was just here. What am I supposed to do with what's next? I was just chilling. I was on the outskirts. No one knows who I am. No one knows what I can do. I, I'm just here. How about those two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus that actually had a conversation with Jesus after he rose from the dead and they didn't know it was him? Man, they must feel bad. Like, I would be like, ah, probably should have got that one, right? <laughs> they spent all this time with Jesus and he, he resurrects and he walks with them and he talks with them and says they did not realize that it was him until he left. Imagine if they're like, we didn't recognize him. Then how are we supposed to recognize what's to come? How are we even supposed to recognize? What if it moves and we miss it? You ever that person who just doesn't want to take a chance because you just don't want to miss it? You just don't want, I don't want to move because I just don't want to miss it. I'm just going to stay right here because I just don't want to miss it. I, 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 I would beg and, and pose the question, I bet the disciples were afraid to miss it because they didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. They didn't know what the helper was. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what the move of God was about to happen. And they're like, what, what, if, we, what if we miss it? But in this moment in, in Acts chapter two, we see the greatest moment that has ever happened in the church. Now, the greatest moment for salvation is when Jesus died on the cross, but for God's purpose and God's plan and God's house and God's church, it's the day of Pentecost. Because without, with salvation, we could not connect to God. Without the Holy Spirit, we could not pre preach God. There is no preaching the gospel and there's no spreading the gospel without the local church. This is more than just a gathering. This is more than just a worship service. This is more than just something feeling encouraged. This is the very bride of Christ. The local church is the vehicle in which we see people who are not saved, find the gospel, encounter their purpose and step into who God has called them to be. This is the vehicle that could change a city. This is a vehicle that could change a region, that could change your family, that could change your situation. This is is the vehicle in which God intended to use. I love that God chose a bunch of messed up, broken people to be a part of his church and his vehicle to spread the gospel. I love that. And I love that Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Because what is our first response in transition? To leave and go somewhere else. But God says, I had an intention with Jerusalem and my move of God will first begin in Jerusalem, then Samaria, then Judea, then to the ends of the earth. Don't leave in the midst of transition. Wait for what's next and then you'll see what's gonna happen. Too often we don't wait for what's next. So when the winds start moving and the transition starts happening, we start running and why do we miss it? It's just because we left. They, this is what I love about the disciples. 
They didn't know what to expect, but they obeyed what he said. We're not going anywhere. We're waiting, and if we miss it, we're going to miss it by obeying his voice. But God says, you're not going to miss it because I said, stay right there. Someone that needs to be encouraged, you are in a season of transition, and your first response is to run away and to get out and try to figure it out. But God is saying, wait right there because there's a wind of what's next that's headed your direction. Amen? Something began to happen, and now the, the, the age of the sun transitioned into the age that we live in today. See, we still live in the age of the Holy Spirit. We live in the age of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is sacrificed. We had access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. The restrictions have been lifted. There's no more restrictions on how to reach God. The only restriction is the lack of response. If we don't respond to God, that's the only thing that's going to restrict us from meeting God. But if we respond in faith, guess what? The restrictions are lifted. We have access to his character. We have access to his power. We have access to his nature. We have access to his thinking. And it is through the Holy Spirit. We are in the age of the Holy Spirit in every season, in every age. Guess what the church was built off? It was built off the age that was in. The Old Testament, the church, the tabernacle was built off the Holy of Holies, the age of the Father, where the presence rested. And when Jesus was there, guess what? The church was built off where he was. Thousands of people would gather to hear him teach. And, and he would pray and people would be healed. Now with the Holy Spirit, it is built off the Holy Spirit. Everything that we do, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, guess what this is? It is a good gathering. The day of Pentecost was a launching of the church. So a move of the Holy Spirit is required. It is necessary. It's in, it's in fact, the very foundation in which we must gather around is that we can encounter the, the spirit of the living God, not just be encouraged, not just be uplifted, but to be changed and transformed by the spirit of the living God. This is what we are in. This is what we are living. This is what we are expecting tonight, that God moves in this place. Amen? What began on the day of Pentecost, we live in today. We live in the same thing that happened in that upper room. We live with that access. We live with that expectation. But the thing is this, we've actually already seen what's to expect. They did not. They're in this season of transition. They don't know what to expect and God begins to move. So I want to, to end this talk about the Holy Spirit, about three things that we must know about the Holy Spirit. Three things we must know about the Holy Spirit. Number one, is the precision of his presence. The precision of his presence. A ship is, with a sail is rendered useless without wind to direct it and to push it to its destination. The presence of God is what gives us vision and direction to where he wants us to go. In his place, we see the first thing that happened, a mighty rushing wind begin to go. What is that a picture of? Direction. Where the wind goes, that's where they go. It's vision, it's passion. God wants to instill some new vision for your life. See, some of us were stuck in the old way of living and now there's a transition to what's next and he wants to show you what that is. 
He wants to show you where you're headed. He wants to show you where you're going. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you to your destination. So the first thing we must know is that the presence of God is precise. It's driven. It has a destination. It has a purpose. It is not just this ambiguous, ethereal, weird thing. It is a spirit. It is a person who is speaking direction into your life and saying, let's go this way. Let me show you where you can be. Let me show you what you can do. You don't have to stay in the same place. You don't have to be stuck in the same position, but I've got something fresh for you. Can you see it yet? Can you be led by it? And the Spirit of God is a precise direction. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us vision for our future, a picture of our purpose, and a direction to the mission of God. We cannot discern God's will without the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 says, renew your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can what? Discern the good, the perfect, the pleasing will of God. Unless we have our thinking changed to the thinking of God, we cannot discern the will of God. And the only way we can have our thinking changed to the thinking of God is through the Spirit of God. So then we can discern. What's the good? What's the perfect? What's the pleasing? Where do I go in this season of transition? Where do I go? What do I do? And God says, let me lead. Let me lead. Let me lead. We need to be people who are led, not driven. We, too often we are driven by our feelings, our emotions, our impulses, our desires. We are driven by the things that, we are driven by money. We are driven by the lack of it or the too much of it. We are driven by family. We are driven by friendships. We are driven by relationships. We are driven by status. But God says, I don't want you to be led. I want you to be driven. Have you ever seen a hurricane? I promise you this, you're not leading it. You're gonna be driven by it. If you're standing outside in a hurricane, guess what, you're not saying hurricane, let's go this way. The hurricane is saying, let me push you that way. That is the wind of God. He is the one who's to push you. He is the one to guide you. He is the one to lead you. Like it says in Psalms, he is hemming you in from the back. He is in front of you. He's with you in the present. He's with you when you stand up. He's with you when you sit down. Guess what? The wind of God is everywhere and it's leading you where you need to go. It's in his presence that we receive dreams and visions and direction for our life. We need the direction of the Holy Spirit. We see old man will dream dreams and young man will see visions. A man without vision will perish. And it also is this. It says a, that, that, that the word of the Lord is a two-edged sword that will separate between bone and marrow. It is a precise. The Holy Spirit is a precise heart surgeon. He will identify and he will pick out the very thing that is causing you to stay being driven, not led. The Holy Spirit is precise. So we see the wind of God in Acts. The first thing is, is the presence of God. It's, there's precision in the presence. Number two, there's passion in his presence. Now, growing up in, in a very charismatic church, we really like to focus on the passion part. Some of y'all will get it in a second. Like, there's a story, Joey Cruz. Joey Cruz always got hurt. One time he tried to jump over a man-made river, making, you know, there's so many stories about it, but he dislocates his hip. Um, and we have a conference at the church that week. He's in a walker and he's walking and, and Joey gets healed. It's amazing, miraculous healing, legit healing. Like, no, no, no joke, legit healing. He grabs his walker. He throws it across the room. He sprints around the building. Everyone starts sprinting around the building. They have flags, people are throwing their shoes off. They had some passion, right? Like Pentecostals have passion, right? 
Some of y'all are like, we know. That's why we're just coming back. Okay, right? We love just pray in tongues passionately. We love to, to pray over people where we push them over, you know? Let's be honest. Sometimes it's a push, you know, in Jesus' name, be blessed. You're like, oh, it's like... Was that the spirit of God or was that because that guy works out so much? You know, like I remember one time as a kid, I was getting prayed for and this pastor came in and just blasted me in the head and I looked at him and said, bro, you're gonna give me a concussion. What are you doing? But we have passion. We gotta give it to ourselves. We're passionate about the Holy Spirit. We're passionate about what God can do. We're passionate about these different things. And in the Holy Spirit, there is passion. There is. We see the fire of the Holy Spirit birth passion, the power to operate in the things of God. See, there's precision with the, with the wind that gave us direction, but we, we need the passion in order to have the power of God. They begin to speak in different languages, in heavenly languages, and they actually begin to speak in different languages around the world so people could understand the gospel. They had the power and the ability to do things that they could not do on their own. Why? Because of the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit. In a moment, something was unlocked to them. They now had this new passion for Jesus and his message. No longer would they, would, would, would they be hiding away and no longer would they be afraid in the upper room. From this moment on, many of them would, would give up their very life for this message because of the passion they had for what Jesus had, what Jesus had spoken in his message. They gave up their very lives because of the passion they had. And we still, this, this thing that this message that they were so passionate about, guess what? It's spreading today. The very message that they were pr passionate about spreading is, is spreading faster than ever. And they are still passionate in heaven about the gospel, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit. The passion is good, but the key is we must have precision of the Holy Spirit to be the wind that directs the passion of the Holy Spirit. Passion without precision is easily contained. Ooh. Passion without precision is easily contained. It's easy to be passionate in a service and everyone who understands it can be passionate. But what happens when someone who walks in and there's no direction, there's no precision, and they don't understand what's going on, instead of being passionate about what we're passionate about, we're passionate against that. That's why there's different movements in the church that were birthed because of misuse and lack of precision with the passion. See, a passion can be easily contained. Just like a fire in Camarillo in 2013, it started as a brush fire. Yes, it was passion. It was a fire. It was powerful. It was a fire. It had the, had the elements of fire, but it was contained. What was the thing that made it spread? It was the element of the precision, the wind, the direction is what begins to spread this passion. So we have to understand these two elements of the Holy Spirit have to work together. If we don't have precision, guess what? We may have direction, but we don't have the power to live it out. If we only have passion, we have the power, but we don't have the direction and where to go. So we have misused passion and we're just throwing it all over the place. But we see that there's a fire can be easily extinguished and contained, so we can't just have passion in the Holy Spirit. We must have precision. We see in 2 Timothy 1.6, it says this, for this reason, I remind you, fan into flames. The wind, right? The direction, fan it in, billow it, stir it up. Fan into flames the gift of God in which was given to you, the laying on of hands. Timothy possessed purpose and passion, but he needed wind of the Holy Spirit to billow it again into flames. He possessed it. He already had the passion. Some of us, we already have passion for God, but God, we need the direction of God and where to place it. 
We have the passion for God. We wanna see God change our city. We wanna see God change our family. We wanna see God change our business. We wanna see God do all these amazing things. We wanna see him you know, infiltrate our finances and infiltrate all these areas in our life. And we have the passion and we're like, God change the world, but we don't have the direction. So we're sitting in our houses and in our churches and we're praying passionately for God to change the world. But it was the very wind that turned that passion into a forest fire that spread where 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. And it says every single day they had favor with men and daily people were added to this church, added to this mission, added to this purpose. Why? Because there was direction connected with the passion. We must have precision and passion. What does that mean? We could be in a coffee shop and feel the passion of the Holy Spirit. That does not mean scream out in tongues. That's not precision. Because they don't understand. But what it does mean is this. When you feel that passion, okay, Holy Spirit, lead me. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I'll do anything. I'll do anything. We're in the age of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Even outside these four walls, we can encounter God at any moment, at any time, in any place, no matter who you are, you have access to God. So the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm ready. I'm driving you. I'm pushing you. I, I, I'm the wind in your sails. I'm pushing you. I need you. Yes, I'm glad that you're passionate, but let me be precise with that passion. Let me guide you to the right conversations. Let me guide you to the right place. Let me guide you to the right business deals. Let me guide you to the right place to serve in church and to get activated in church. Let me give you the right words to say in your prayers and the words of knowledge and the words of wisdom and prophecy. All of these things are very precise and they're driven. The Holy Spirit is like a sniper. He's going to hit the target, but what he needs us to do is say okay take my passion and do what you got to do I see in Jeremiah 20 verse 9 it says if you say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name there is in my heart as if it was a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary holding it in and I cannot we cannot have the Holy Spirit without passion See this, the Holy Spirit exudes passion. I love the Holy Spirit. Yes, he speaks as a whisper. Then he comes in like a mighty rushing wind, drops down like a fire. We need to be passionate about the Holy Spirit. We need to be passionate about our message. See, Jeremiah was passionate. Pa it was a passion shut up on the inside. Why? Because he knew what he is containing. He contained the very spirit of God. We should be so passionate about the spirit of God because we know we contain healing, restoration, wholeness. We, 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 we contain freedom. We contain joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We contain that with the Holy Spirit. And I, I just can't hold it in. I'm just too excited. It's like me when I try to throw a surprise party. It is pointless. Please. If you're throwing some a surprise party, don't tell me, because I will tell them. Because it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't help it. I'm like, woo, I'm so excited for your party. They're like, what party? I'm like, yes. Talk to you later, you know? That's how we need to be with the message of God and the presence of God and the power of God. And this is where I finish. First, we need to know that in his presence, there's precision. There's, there's order, there's, there's direction. Yes, there's passion, number two. But number three, we have to understand this. We have to find his person in his presence. We do not receive, who, who do we receive in our passion and our direction from? Who, do we, who are we passionate about? I put this down, the Holy Spirit is not a weird, ethereal, cosmic, spooky force. 
but he is a person. He has traits, he has abilities, he carries the power and the nature of God. See, I grew up in a very charismatic church and they'd always say, here comes the Holy Ghost. And I was always like, where? Like, what's going on? You say, like, that's all I was thinking in my head, in my ADD brain. God is not just, the spirit of God is not just this ethereal cosmic being, it's a person. The Holy Spirit's a person you can interact with, you can talk with, you can communicate with. It carries characteristics, natures, and the very passion and power of, the Holy, uh, 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 of Father God. You have access to God through the Holy Spirit, but it is a person. It's a person. We see that and we, and we can stand to our feet because this is where I finish. But I wanna talk about the traits of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. And as I begin to read off these natures and these characteristics, what I want us to understand is that we possess this when we are possessed by the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is what we possess. And when I finish, we're gonna pray. But I want us to respond. Can we go after the Holy Spirit tonight? Can we, can we just seek a little bit? Can we just set, take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, just like in Acts chapter two, we are sitting in expectation. Lead us and guide us. Give us, give us direction. And, and, and it can, some of you need your passion ignited again for the Holy Spirit. You've lost your passion. Some of you, you've got a lot of passion, but we have no direction of where to put it. God's gonna give you direction. And some of you, it's not the passion or the direction. It's just that you actually don't even know the person of the Holy Spirit. The first thing the Holy Spirit is, is the spirit of truth. The Spirit of God will show you what's truth and what's not. The Spirit of God will reveal what, what, what's a lie from the enemy and what's the truth from God. He will reveal the promises of God. So lean in, listen in. The Spirit of God is the wind of God, the direction of God. The Spirit of God is the fire of God, which is the passion of God. The Spirit of God is the water of God, which is washing you in the water of His Word. What does that mean? He's making you clean. He's making you new. Past mistakes, past relationships, past, past brokenness, bitterness. It's all washing away in the Spirit of God. It's washing away. It's washing away. He's making you new. He's making you clean. He's making you fresh. He is the water of God. He is the oil of God, which is what sets you apart. And it, it is the very thing that called you. Anytime there was a king that was appointed, there was oil poured on his head. Anytime there was a prophet that's appointed, there was oil put on his head. So when the Holy Spirit is poured out on you, what is God doing? He is separating you. He is setting you apart. And he's saying, I have called you. I have purposed you. I have a destiny for you. I've got something for you. Lean in, lean in. He's the oil of God. He's the spirit of holiness. If you're struggling with holiness and you're trying to be holy, guess what? Holiness is not an action you do, but it's a person you become through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person of holiness. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. If you're feeling a spirit of death over your mind and over your body, it says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body. He will bring life into you again. He'll bring a so-so life where you can live life and life to the full. It's not just something that is steal, kill, and destroy, but God says, I I have much more life for you. He's the spirit of glory that our life could give glory to God. He is the eternal spirit. Forever we will be in community with the Holy Spirit. Forever. For the rest of time we will be in community with the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter and the counselor. He is someone who can comfort you and can console you when no one else has the words. Someone in here, you are so stricken with grief and you are looking from so many people. I just need someone to console me. And God is saying, I'm right here. I know it hurts. Loss and grief, it hurts. It's not easy to deal with. 
Sometimes it takes so long. But let's go to the greatest counselor there ever was, the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. When you don't know what to say in a job interview, this is weird, but I believe it. Guess what? Guess who can give you wisdom? The Holy Spirit. Guess who can give you understanding to situations you do not know? There are jobs awaiting for some people in this room that if you went into the interview and just said, God, give me the right words to say. Give me the answer. God, I'm not even qualified for this. You give me what I need, when I need it. And I bet you God's going to say, okay, just trust me. Just trust me. He's the seal of what God did. The Holy Spirit is the seal. It is the proof of Jesus' love. It's the seal of what Jesus did on the cross. The Holy Spirit activates the grace that Jesus gave us on the cross. He is the seal. He is a deposit of power. He is a guide in our shepherd. If you don't know where to go, guess what? Lean on the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you. And if you're getting off too far away, guess what? He'll convict you and say, hey, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Let's go. It's wrong direction. Let's go. He's a voice. The Holy Spirit actually has a voice. And the same God that's speaking right now to very, so many of you that is, it's fluttering in your soul. It's grabbed your attention. That's the voice of God saying, come to me. Listen to me. The very voice of God is speaking tonight. He's God's gift. He's a gift. He's the power of God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.